Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Hi guys, I'm John Weeks from Plant-Based Face-Off, the Instagram page all about trying new plant-based food alternatives. I try, compare and rate the latest food in the vegan world and let you know which is best. I'm talking everything from burgers to cheese to chocolate. Check me out on Insta at Plant-Based Face-Off. Now though, it's time for this week's podcast. Enjoy. You're listening to The Contest and Me, a podcast from the Eurotrip. So hello and welcome to the final episode of our special mini-series. This is the Eurotrip, The Contest and Me, where over the last few weeks we have been chatting to some of the most well-known Eurovision super fans. I'm of course Rob and as ever joined by... Mr James Rowe. Hello. I don't know why, I, that's just my Twitter username. I just tend to go by James most of the time. <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm back as well. Uh, glad to be back as well for another episode of The Contest and Me. Because as you say, Rob, we've been having lovely conversations with some of the most wonderful people, with some great and interesting stories to tell about the Eurovision Song Contest. We certainly have. I'm still taken aback as to how formally you introduced yourself. <laughs> I'll be honest, I got you to introduce yourself because it was slightly more awkward when somebody has to introduce themselves. Mm. But you are right. It's been brilliant over the last few weeks hearing from all of these brilliant people. You may remember last week I got myself in a right old mess trying to work out whether the term was wormhole or indeed what I have since learned it is rabbit hole. So when I was looking around at the Great British Song Contest last week, uh, if you listened to last week's episode, you'll know what I'm on about. If you didn't, you'll have no clue. I said wormhole, I meant rabbit hole. Thank you to everybody that corrected me, which was quite a lot of you as it turns out. Yeah, not the first time you've made a mistake, is it, here on the podcast? But anyway, shall I quickly tell everybody who's joining us on this week's podcast? Please do. I'll gladly, I haven't got much time left before this music runs out, so let me hurry up, I've got about 10 seconds left or something. So, joining us this week on episode 6 of The Contest and Me is Zoe London. Of course, you'll know her on Twitter, she's a multi-genre DJ, she's been there and everywhere, uh, and is a massive fan like everybody else who's joined us on the podcast, of the Eurovision Song Contest, who we'll be hearing from her very, very shortly. You're listening on Acast, on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. This is the Eurotrip, the contest and me. That's right. Episode number six of the Eurotrip, the contest and me. Rob described it as the last episode of the series, but as you may have heard over the last couple of weeks, there is a little bit of a bonus coming next week. And I promise you, Rob, you can back me up here. The bonus episode is a biggie. I don't want to... I was going to say I don't want to keep people listening. Of course I do. That's the whole point. You don't want people to turn off within the first however many minutes it's been of this podcast. But if you stay until the very, very end... This is now just going to result in everyone scrolling to the end, isn't it? (laughs) If you stay until the very, very end, you may hear a little tease, a little clip of who is joining us next week. That's all I'll say. That is a bold promise from somebody who's not editing this week's podcast, isn't it? (laughs) As far as I'm aware, that clip already exists. 
let's uh for the listeners sake let's hope so uh, but <laughs> <laughs> a little on air production meeting we do this all the time me and you should probably talk about the podcast before we start recording the podcast rather than talk about absolute nonsense which we spoke about before we recorded this week's podcast um but i am going to bring that nonsense to you everybody at home uh shortly i'll share with you what we were talking about but first james loads of stuff from last week yeah, loads of stuff from last week about last week's episode. If you remember, uh, Rob had a wonderful conversation with Scott Bryan, the TV critic that I'm sure you all know. And loads of people have been getting involved uh, on Twitter and Instagram about that conversation. Uh, mostly about the conversation about the BBC and the UK's approach to Eurovision, which seems to get a lot of people talking every single week, uh, doesn't it, Rob, when we when we chat about that? It really does. I think everybody has an opinion on it. I think everybody's opinion maybe is slightly different as well, but everybody does have an opinion on what the BBC should do. And that's why it's so difficult for the BBC, because there are so many different avenues they could take. To be fair to them, they have tried lots of different avenues over recent years, and none of them have particularly proved successful. So who knows what we're going to get in 2022? It's exciting, though. It's exciting to see what's going to happen, because nobody knows. Yeah, exactly. One of the things Scott Bryan said as well, uh, he said, it doesn't feel like we're part of the process. He kind of wants to see a selection program come back to our screens. And a lot of people agreed with that. James on Twitter got in touch. Uh, another James, not me, uh, said... <laughs> <laughs> tweeting about your own content now. Tweeting about your, our own interviews. <laughs> uh, yeah, James, other James uh, said, we used to tap into those resources a lot more when we were using Rob's favourite, a song for Europe in the late 90s and early noughties. And yeah, we did, because Scott said, you know, the BBC have got BBC Introducing, they've got loads of links at festivals, and he would really love to see that explored a little bit more. Um, and then another um, little avenue that got talked about as well was um, Kate Miller-Heidke's entrance at Eurovision in 2019, which uh, got Nick to get in touch with a video. And it looks like he was in the arena when it happened, of uh, Kate being wheeled on on that massive stick she performed on. Uh, he said he loved the interview this week with Scott and remind me just how brilliant Kate's entrance was in the arena in Tel Aviv. More of this, please, in 2022. I don't know if he's just asking for everybody to perform on a pole. I don't know if that can get written into the Eurovision rules, but maybe, maybe it can happen. Oh, well, we still don't know where Eurovision 2022 is going to be, do we, at the time of recording this? It's always a fear that they're going to announce it, you know, <laughs> within hours of me having said that and, uh, and then this will all be out of date. But who knows if they do it do it, do it in the Alps, maybe. Stick everyone on a pole. It'd be quite blustery. They'll be buffeted around. Adds a bit of jeopardy to the whole thing. Yeah, your mind is uh, is something else. You say we don't know where Eurovision 2022 is going to be. However, it has been a busy week, hasn't it, actually, in the world of Eurovision since we last spoke to, to each other. And, of course, you listening at home since last Wednesday. It certainly has. It's almost as if we should bring back the Euro trip proper because there's plenty to talk about. Because there is. Uh, we, I don't know where you want to start. You want to go Melfest to begin with? Yeah, um, let's do let's do Melfest as we're recording on Tuesday afternoon. Something happened on Tuesday morning. What was it? It did. We found out that very excitingly, Melfest is going back on tour in 2022. Insert Melfest going back on tour. Klaxon. New But yeah, Malfest going back on tour, which is very, very exciting. Uh, the final is going to be in the Friends Arena in Stockholm, not in Annexit, the um, venue next door or the smaller venue that they used when the pandemic was in full swing last year or this year. Honestly, I can't keep up with myself. Um, but we're going, we're going in arenas again in Sweden, all being well. And it got me down a I was going to say wormhole again, <laughs> rabbit hole. Uh, You've not learned your lesson, have you? I've not learned my lesson at all. Uh, this is the nonsense that we were talking about before we started recording this week's podcast. I said to James, I'm sure that there was a round of Melody Festival and that was in the Arctic Circle one year because we got talking about this because the second chance round of Malfest 2022, which I'm going to get James to pronounce the name of the city. James? Uh, I'm going to say that it's going to be in Unskuldsvik. Does that work? Yeah. Sounds close enough, doesn't it? It's, yeah, we'll go with that when he's got Bella Fist <laughs> back on or uh, Star <laughs> Darlander, don't we? Anyway, that's quite north in Sweden. So that's how I got onto that. And it turns out I was right. Uh, the second chance round of Malfest 2008 uh, took place 
in a town called uh, Kiruna. Uh, and Karuna is in the Arctic Circle. And uh, none of the people that were in the second chance round um, did that well in the final in 2008. And Charlotte Pirelli won it with Heroes. But it looked like a, a jolly old trip. Quite a chilly one, though, by the looks of it. Yeah, I imagine so. Pretty much in the Arctic Circle in February or March is definitely going to be cold. And also, there isn't really much else to add to that. It was just that Rob fell down a rabbit hole and that was about it. There's no, you know, there's no relevance to that conversation, is there? Absolutely none. Absolutely none whatsoever. Uh, the other thing, of course, uh, we found out who is going to be at Junior Eurovision 2021. So I was going to say in a few weeks' time, that's a bit optimistic, in a few months' time, uh, three or so months' time, the Sunday before Christmas, which I still find is a hilarious piece of scheduling, uh, we're going to have 19 countries, aren't we, in Paris, which is very, very exciting. It is, and also I've noticed, I th- hope this is right, I think it is, it's on the 19th of December, there's going to be 19 countries, and I think it's the 19th edition of Junior Eurovision. That's quite good, isn't it? So maybe they have thought about it a little bit more. Mm. Maybe I need to give them a little bit more credit. But uh, two very big bits of Eurovision news there. And I'm going to I'm gonna go out on a limb. We are going to do what we can to bring in the best coverage of Junior Eurovision, best coverage of Melfest again. You had Melfest Monday this year. Is it coming back? Fingers crossed. That's all we can say. But it'd be great to bring you even closer to both of those events and even more as we go on to Eurovision 2022. Absolutely. So if you want, let us know if you want even more coverage of Junior Eurovision. Let us know if you want to see Melfest Monday return. You can let us know on Twitter and Instagram, or if you just want to send a begging letter, uh, you can send that to hello at eurotrippodcast.com. And also on Twitter and Instagram, we are just at eurotrippodcast. This is the Eurotrip. When you aren't listening, you can find us on social media. We're at Eurotrip Podcast. Warming you up for the Eurovision Song Contest. So here we go then. It is time for, I'm going to keep saying, final interview of this series of The Contest and Me. And before we get to James, your brilliant chat with Zoe London, which is excellent. I just want to say thank you to everybody that's joined us because it has been brilliant bringing you this mini-series over the last few weeks because when we were thinking about it months ago, you know, what should we have to fill the gap to bridge Eurovision 2021 and Eurovision 2022? Uh, We had this idea and we weren't sure how it was going to go, but I, for one, have been delighted to see all of you enjoying it, all of you listening. And yeah, thank you to everyone that joined us because each and every one of the guests that have joined us over the last five or so weeks, six or so weeks, however many weeks, James, I don't know, time is still a mystery (laughs) to me, have all been brilliant and so generous with their time. And yeah, we we can only be grateful to them for, for spending half an hour or so to sit on a Zoom call with either me or you. Yeah, it's been tremendous. You say half an hour. Zoe London, I think, was just over an hour. I don't know how she managed to (laughs) commit so much time for chatting to me. But it's been lovely, hasn't it? Every single one of them have all been so genuine, so passionate about the contest. And we've had such a great reaction from uh, from you guys listening at home, getting in touch with us uh, online. Just to tell us how much you've enjoyed it, because clearly you've enjoyed it just as much as we have, which is always lovely to hear. And it's a good job you've enjoyed it, because I'm not sure we've said it enough, as much as I said last episode of the series. Stay till the end, everybody. You'll find out who's joining us next week in that special bonus. So hold on, we are actually telling people at the end of this one, or is it just a clue? It's 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 a pretty... Again, this is a on-air production meeting, isn't it? We are heavily hinting as to who is joining us next week. Okay. Let's wrap up this on a production meeting. Is it that clip that I sent you the other day that we're going to play at the end? Because if it is, that's yes, grand. It is. It okay, is. That's it. That's it. That's okay. it. So what, what we're going to do, uh, I'm going <laughs> to say goodbye. You're going to say goodbye. And then if people hang around, it's like one of those Marvel post credit scenes. And then if they stick around, they're going to get that clip and they're going to go, I can't believe they're on the podcast next week. And then everybody be happy. Okay. Wonderful stuff. Okay, Zoe meeting London. over. Yeah, meeting over. Let's get to this week's podcast with, of course, Zoe London. You will know her as a wonderful uh, multi-genre DJ. She's been doing the rounds for around a decade or so, I think. Uh, you'll have seen her at uh, festivals like Reading and Leeds Download Festival. 
She was also uh, part of RuPaul's Drag Race UK uh, in Series 1, if, uh, if any of you watched that. I'm sure many of you will have done. And also was the after-party DJ for Concert in the Dark, the Eurovision pre-party, earlier this year. So it's great to have her on the podcast, and you'll just hear just how passionate she is about the Eurovision Song Contest. I, for one, cannot wait. I've heard a little bit of this interview before, but I'm going to sit back, going to get myself a little tea going to relax, going to enjoy this, because as with all of the interviews that we've had, they have been so interesting. It's been, it's been a really interesting kind of social experiment asking all of our guests the same question, because everybody's had a different answer. And it's just interesting to see everybody's different perspectives about Eurovision, how they got into Eurovision. Yeah, just really, really interesting. So if you've got any thoughts on what you're about to hear with James and Zoe, then get in touch on social media at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter and Instagram or those long messages. I say long messages. They don't even need to be long. Send us a one-line email if you want. Hello at EurotripPodcast.com. That's right. But without any further ado, shall we get into it then? Here's Zoe London on the Eurotrip, the contest and me. This is the Eurotrip. Zoe London, everybody's favourite music DJ. Welcome to the Eurotrip, the contest of me. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me again. I loved my time on the podcast last time, so I'm so happy to be back. Oh, it's our pleasure, honestly. It's great to have you back. Obviously, we talked to you back in uh, back in May during Eurovision 2021 season, which is where I want to start. We might as well. Shall we have a little bit of a, a reminiscing session? Oh, it's, please, uh, go on. It's I, difficult I wish to we say. could go back and watch it all again. <laughs> oh, you and me both. What were your thoughts on the contest that we had this year? I just loved it so much. I, I think, you know, obviously it felt more sweet than normal, didn't it? Because we'd waited so long for it. But um, I just thought it brought everything, the drama. I mean, that vote, I was like screaming my house down. <laughs> I just couldn't believe it. Well, obviously when our zero came in and then when mm. all those other zeros, I was like, ah! <laughs> I've never seen anything as dramatic as that. And I felt like obviously the buildup right at the end we still didn't know which way it was going to go. Like, it was amazing. I and, think it, uh, it was still dramatic, wasn't it? I think it was one of the most dramatic editions we've had in the last decade, for sure. It must have been. It must have been one of the most drama-filled votes where it just fully changed the entire time, at least that I can think of, um, for a while. And from a music oh. perspective, did you have... Mm. I was going to say, did you have favourites? I imagine you definitely did have favourites. Tell me which ones there were. <laughs> oh gosh well obviously I love Daddy Freya and I was absolutely gutted for them when obviously their Covid came through and you could see how sad they were and it made me sad and I was like oh I just want to hug you and then on the actual night didn't he have like an iPad for his face yeah. or something didn't he <laughs> um, and uh, yeah so I loved Daddy and on all of them I'm not going to pronounce the band name because every time I try to pronounce it <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I loved Finland I thought that did really well and came across really well and like I, obviously I follow a lot of people that are like rock journalists or metal people that work mm. in that industry and seeing them get be like oh my god this is really good you know I love watching that live reaction from the public that are like completely unaware until that one day I think for me that kind of makes it even more special doesn't it because we've had like what five six months of the build-up we know all the songs all the lyrics, mm. every single little detail about every artist. We know everything, but they're watching it and they're like, whoa, what is this? And I think for me, my highlights were seeing Twitter go crazy over Gendrick and that crazy costume. And they were just like, what the hell is this song? <laughs> Which I loved. And yeah, just the little details, you know, like the reaction to Russia's costume. And I'm trying to think of like other things that Twitter were just like, whoa. I, you know, I spent a lot of my time on Twitter. So I was watching the contest, but also enjoying the live commentary. Um, and that made it extra special for me. And I had some of my friends around and we made loads of like European food. And I actually covered my house in flags. And yeah, it was just, it was so fun. I think one of the things you missed out there, impossibly, about what was happening online uh, during the night was just clearly the entire world falling in love with Monoskin. Oh my God, I know. <laughs> Who could have predicted that? I mean, we all knew how charismatic and how sweet and how lovely they were, but this kind of huge trajectory that they've gone on is crazy. I've never seen anything like it with Eurovision before. And, you know, didn't they just do a cover with Iggy 
fault as well. Yeah. I mean, this is just crazy. It's yeah. been, tre- it's still trending on TikTok. Which is crazy because as we're chatting now, it's what three months or so since the contest, and I was chatting yeah. to a friend today about their, you know, their meteoric rise, and you know, like you say, we've never seen anything like it. You know, this is never. This must be like what it, you know, what it was like for Abba to sort of get that stardom just immediately. Yeah, hundred percent. I think you know this is a real turning point in the contest. If you think back to previous kind of turning points where everything kind of changed after that i'm thinking of wild dances like straight away everything was completely different after that wasn't it when Mm. that won people were just like oh okay this is the kind of stuff we can send and then we had a whole era (laughs) of of that kind of style of music and i'm just really excited to see what this you know it it feels kind of cliche to call it the tiktok generation but i guess it kind of is to see what they bring to the contest because they've really embraced it from all over the world and yeah it's still it's fully trending on tiktok still now which yeah it's it doesn't it doesn't show any signs of slowing up either which honestly is fantastic but if it gets more people involved with the contest if it gets me more people involved with the artists that come from uvision it is amazing however i want to take the time now to wind the clock back to the very beginning for for you at least uh, and find out what your very first uvision memory is the very first one. I, I have memories of early contests, but I'm not sure I could pinpoint the exact year because I remember watching it on TV, you know, back when we only had five channels on our TV. So there wasn't a lot to choose from anyway. It was like, you watch that or you don't. <laughs> and my parents were very much in the, we're not going to watch this camp. But I remember going upstairs to my parents' bedroom where there was a second TV because I was just desperate to watch this contest. Obviously, I loved music as a kid. And I was just like, what is this? They're singing in different languages. I've never seen anything like that before. I have a really vivid memory of, I want to say 2002, watching it and just, I must have been about 12, 13 at that point. And just being like amazed by everything that I saw, like just the whole glitz, the glamour, the culture, the fact that it was live, like even that is exciting as a kid, right? You're just like, oh, this is really cool. Everybody in Europe is watching this something so wonderful about knowing there are people just like you all over the world sitting watching the exact same thing at the same time and I've always been drawn to stuff like that and uh, and yeah I think really that was probably the moment that my mum said I've been watching it so I must have been watching it pre then but maybe just didn't know what it was and was just like oh this is fun because she has memories of us being we used to always go to Greece on holiday so it would either be Cyprus or Crete um, and I would have been like nine or ten and I used to beg my dad I'd be like please take me to the taverna I want to watch the Eurovision and my dad would take me to the taverna and he'd sit there with a beer and he'd just read the paper and I'd sit there like this on this tiny little it was all in Greek obviously wasn't it (laughs) and I was just like "Ah, ah," (laughs) for like four hours (laughs) and uh, and and yeah I have a really vivid memory of of watching that and I we were in Greece when uh they won when Helena Fabrizio won and I remember watching that and being like this is so exciting because <laughs> obviously I hadn't really you know obviously the last British win was in my lifetime but I was a little bit too young mm. to kind of appreciate it properly so I kind of enjoyed that moment of everybody being like oh my god we just won the Eurovision <laughs> so uh, so yeah I remember that pretty well but I'd say probably about 2002 because I really vividly remember every way that I can and like wanting to play that again and again and again after the contest so yeah it's funny, isn't it, that some of your earliest memories of it and, you know, being drawn to it are just, you know, hiding yourself away in your, in your parents' bedroom watching on a little box TV. I say that only because I imagine <laughs> so many other people, me included, have yeah. the same memories because some of my earliest memories of, you know, falling in love with the contest are just watching it alone because my mother wasn't interested in watching it either, you know, because it was a, it was a bit of freedom more than anything, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. And like, you know, we d- you couldn't just go on Twitter and discuss it with other people and see other people's reactions. You were just sat there watching it. Um, yeah, just on a little terrestrial TV with the dodgy signal. <laughs> <laughs> and, and yeah, I, I think a lot of people will have very, very similar experiences of watching it like that, because, yeah, it definitely was something that maybe different generations didn't get or didn't understand why and maybe just then never really watched it you know 
So from trying to figure out your very first Eurovision memory to another difficult question of trying to pinpoint the moment you think you first fell in love with the contest, whether it may be hiding upstairs in your parents' bedroom or maybe it was one of the times you were on holiday in Greece. Do you think you can work out what that moment was, whether it was a specific song or something where it just sort of clicked with you and you thought, I am a fan? I think it was Wild Dances. That really like cemented it for me. I, I just loved it, everything. Um, the horns and the outfits and the drums and the, I was just like, this is sick. I've never seen music like this. And, um, and, and yeah, I remember it. I know it was that because when it was then my school talent show that year, I did a dance to Wild Dances. Did you now? Like, I love it so much, yeah. Which my mum was probably got on VHS somewhere. Which was gonna be my next question because clearly I'm not the only one who wants to see that. <laughs> Could you imagine? <laughs> I bet she does. Oh, I need to ask if she's got it. Just maybe I'm crazy. But what's been But yeah, I, I just, I love, I love that song. And I, I'm pretty sure that was like the exact moment where I was then like, okay, every year I'm going to watch this. This is something I really, really like. And then, yeah, lucky for me, we were in Greece the next time when they won. And then I really loved it. And I was like, this is my life now. Yeah, there's no going back. Oh, honestly, some of those early memories are just some of the best because, you know, you're just oh. growing the love for the contest then. And some of the early yeah. memories just sort of stick with you for so long. And you've mentioned some really strong songs so far, just as we've been mm-hmm. chatting, which sort of brings <laughs> us, um, well, we'll do favourite song in a moment, actually. Can we do okay. favourite year beforehand? Oh. Which I, I, yeah, I'm going to say this before every song and then probably after, uh, after, before every question. Every question is very difficult, but this yes. is arguably <laughs> one of the hardest. Trying to pinpoint what your favourite year, your favourite Eurovision year actually is. It could be for the music, it could be for the host, oh. it could just be for the for the overall package, but what, what do you think it is? 2014 is really special to me because that was the first time I went to the contest in Copenhagen. And I, w- I went to that on my own. I didn't know anybody then. I'd not really met anyone from the community. Wow. I, uh, yeah, I just, I had my blog. And I applied for the press pass on a whim because I was like, well, I do talk about it on my blog. They might give me one. How will I know until I try? And then they did. And I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) And even that was exciting. That was amazing. I got to go in the press area. And so, yeah, I probably probably would say that one is my favorite. And the songs are really good in that year as well. But maybe I'm biased because I went. Maybe a little bit. I went in. Um, the only year I've been is 2018, and uh, and I I, went I'm, in that I, year too. Oh, did you now? We, we yes. should we should chat about 2018 a little bit. What was 2018 <laughs> like for you? Given I was there, and I can sort of relate. Apologies to anybody listening who wasn't there, but we might as well chat about it a little bit. Why what was weren't like? you there? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I loved it. I mean, listen, I got spoiled absolutely rotten in 2018. I, I, I don't think I'll ever top it in my life. I had a lovely wedding day, but I think Eurovision 2018 <laughs> maybe just pips the post. <laughs> because one, it was my birthday. So that was special alone. And I had been invited by Eurovision themselves. I met John Ola Sand. I got taken around everybody's dressing room. So I met like all the artists. I like, they bought me a birthday cake, like actual <laughs> Eurovision. I was like, you got me a cake. <laughs> and we had amazing seats. I met the guy, Mr. Lordy. I met him. I met everybody. <laughs> and I, like, they like took photos of me on the blue carpet, like press photos. Everything was exciting. <laughs> So, so yeah, really, I should say that year was the best one. But wow, I, honestly, I, I, I thought we were going to have comparable stories here. Oh, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> Blown all mine out of the water. But. I know, but that will never happen again. I don't mean that will happen again. That was like, oh, that was a one-off special occasion. They did a thing where basically they invited one influencer who was like a diehard super fan. You can guess who that was. <laughs> so they basically got these like two different coverage things where we were both like, she was seeing everything for the first time. Like had like never watched it, never been a part of it, nothing. And was just like, oh my God, what is happening? 
Whereas then I'm there, like, this is this, this is that, blah, blah, blah. And then when we met John Ola, she was just like, hi. And there's me like, oh my God. <laughs> She's looking at me like, why are you freaking out about this guy? I'm like, you don't know, this is fucking John Ola Sand. Like, <laughs> and, uh, and it was very fun. My, my, one of my highlights was after the, all of the songs had finished, she put everything in her bag and got up and went to leave. And I was like, where are you going? She was like, it's finished. I was like, no, <laughs> it's not finished. And she looked at me and she went, well, how long is left? <laughs> I was like, probably about two and a half hours. And she went, oh. <laughs> I think she thought it was just a big concert and then didn't realize all about all the vote and everything. And But she was getting into it. You know, when it started rolling in and she was like, oh, I see, I see, I see every country is voting and then we're going to pick a winner. And I was like, yes. And, uh, and yeah, it was, it was good fun. And she was very sweet. And, Afterwards, we got to go to Netta's like winning press conference and she didn't have to do any of that, but she came along with me and was like, very, you know, she got into it. She got into the spirit of Eurovision. But uh, yeah, it was very fun watching it with someone who'd never, <laughs> never seen it before. <laughs> I was going to try and ask what your your standout moment from 2018 would be, but I, I guess it would be There's too, many. <laughs> too much to choose. So I'm going to ask it anyway. What was your standout moment from 2018? You've got to try and answer it. Go on, give it a go. But I don't know, really just, it was such a lot. And I, and I took every single minute of everything they gave me. They were like, you know, do you want to go and look at this? Would you like to meet these people? Do you want to go into hair and makeup? Do you want to go? There? I was like, yes, 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 yes. Like I didn't stop. Some of the others, they went back to get ready. They took a lot of time. They were like, oh, you know, maybe it's all right. And I was like, no, I want to see everything. Because I just knew that I was like, this opportunity will never, ever happen again, ever. And my manager that had like sort it all out, she, she always says to me now, she's like, no matter what I do, I'll never top that, will I? I'll never be able, you know, you could book the best DJ gig in the world. She's like, but I know that in your mind, it won't top that day that you went to Eurovision. And I was like, it won't, <laughs> nothing will. <laughs> Zoe, both you and I know that that's not true. And we are both, and so many other people waiting for the day that you get to do a Eurovision event or the Euro Club or something. That's going to be the absolute dream come true, right? Oh, oh, I really hope so. I mean, I would just love to be there at Euro Club playing these songs. Because this is what, you know, on my Twitch channel when I was playing um, my Eurovision set this year. And I'm playing songs that like some people have forgotten about or songs that didn't qualify. And just seeing people's reactions is like my favorite thing in the whole world. Even just in the chat, they were like, what? How did you get inside my brain? And I'm like, because I know I get it. I also want to hear that song that didn't qualify from whenever. <laughs> and I just feel like that environment in the Euro Club, I can't picture it. I would just love to do that and just see everybody go ah! <laughs> so hopefully someone will be listening to this podcast and they'll go oh we'll get her into the euro club yes please <laughs> we're not begging but we're just politely asking if you are responsible for the euro club please give zoe london a call we'd uh, we'd desperately love it to happen um we've been chatting about music there we've been chatting about some amazing songs as well which is a perfect opportunity to move on to difficult question number whichever it is now a favorite eurovision song apologies in advance do you want to try and have a go at this one zoe that's really hard just one not like five or ten <laughs> <laughs> i think ten might be pushing it you go on throw some out there we, we can try and play around oh, with it with gosh. a few this is hard so when um the eurovision was cancelled in 2020 they did that show didn't they on the bbc it was, was it called um what was it called um, Eurovision Come Together. I Come think Together. Yeah. I was thinking Shine a Light, but that's what they called the actual show, wasn't yeah. it? And then um, they asked me to be part of the panel that chose like the songs that were like everybody's favorite Eurovision songs. And that I was allowed to have 10. And that was a struggle alone. But I'm pretty sure I put my number one as every way that I can. Just because of like what I said to you, I just have such good memories of watching that and having never seen any kind of Turkish culture or anything before, seeing them in the traditional costumes and belly dancing and hearing the kind of traditional kind of Greek sound, not Greek, sorry, Turkish sound in the song. Um, that for me is such a standout track.
I feel you moving on a different coast Making a way for a distant coast You say you love me and you roll your eyes Turn to stare at the empty skies I thought this was all for every pass all that I mean, of course, I love Loreen and I love, I love Lordy because I'm a little rock grub at heart. <laughs> and I love what do you look for then? Because you've named some really, some, you know, some standout winners, really. What do you look for when, not when you're trying to choose, but, you know, when uh, something really stands out for you? What, what is it that grabs you or grabs your attention when, uh, when you hear an amazing Eurovision song? For me, it's just something different, something I've not heard before, you know. I think for me, there just has to be some sort of element where you're like, yes. And that's why, you know, you can't help but gravitate towards the ones that won, because obviously a lot of people watching had the exact same thought and were just like, oh, this is amazing. And, you know, I, I love the old contests, but I'm very much like a kind of 2000 onwards. That's like my favorite era of Eurovision. I'll watch an old one if it's on don't get me wrong and I'll be like oh it's so fun it's so sweet but I really love the more kind of modern contests and and yeah I think just kind of looking for something totally different but I've got loads of like random favorites like I love um Jesse Matador from France I can't remember the year was it 2010 10 yeah I always listen to that and it's just such a banger because it was so different it was like kind of fusion of the Caribbean Jamaican style music with French and then like pop and, and everything. And I remember at the time being like, why isn't this done better? Like this is absolute banger. And and yeah, I just think something something a little special. It's um it's crazy, isn't it, the way that Eurovision just sort of opens your eyes to just different cultures. Rob is gonna tell mm. me off for mentioning this, but I go on. I now adore French music <clears throat> just because of the Eurovision yes. Song Contest. And I bang about bang on about it all the time, and Rob tells me off for doing it all the mm. time. But I didn't <laughs> but I didn't know I loved it until yeah. Eurovision came along and now half my Apple music is just filled with it just because oh, of what amazing. Eurovision did. You know, it's, yes. it's the same for you, I guess, where, you know, you find a culture or not necessarily one single culture, but mm -hmm. Eurovision does just open your eyes to so much more than you would have mm -hmm. seen ordinarily. One that I can think of that sticks out in my mind in that example is from 2019 from Australia, didn't qualify electric fields with happy mm. 2000 and whatever. Now, I listened to all their music and I have never in my life heard anything like that, that kind of Aborigine, Australian fusion, electro, just amazing. And, you know, I didn't hate the one that they sent in the end, but I didn't love it just because I really fell in love with the sound that I had never, ever heard before. And I always listen to like the whole catalog of stuff on, uh, on my iPhone. And I remember when they rung in 2020, cause they do it before us, obviously. And they got them to do the soundtrack. And as soon as it started playing on my TV and they were like, oh, Australia celebrating. I was like, that's electric fields. <laughs> I know that stuff. And I just feel like a lot of people are missing out on so many beautiful genres of music that they necessarily wouldn't find or care to find to listen to. Um, in, in not only the contest, but also in the kind of national finals and the qualifying rounds. There's so much amazing stuff out there. And I'm not surprised that you found that kind of love of French music. So I totally feel you. I, I feel a bit that way with the kind of Greek music. I've definitely delved into some of those artists and found different similar artists because, yeah, it's just amazing for opening your mind like that. One last quick one on, song, on music and songs before we move on to another question. Yeah. Tell me one of your favourite songs to play in a live DJ set. Oh, I think I said it to you earlier. I always play La La Love because it's a club tune, really. And a lot of people don't know what it is, but they're still like, oh, this is good. And especially like if you remix it a little bit and just take that little sample of that, la 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 la, like people don't know, but they're like, oh, this is great. So I tend to always play that. And then what else do I play? You know, Monoskin right now, People ask me to play that in my DJ sets. Like when I played at Download Festival, they were asking me to play it. And I was like, at Download? This is a metal festival. <laughs> but people were like, play Barnaskin. I was like, okay, sure. <laughs>
The power of Eurovision knows no bounds, does it? Amazing. Oh, absolutely incredible. Shall we move on to... I'll say it again, another difficult question. Um, most... Why are they all difficult? I know, apologies. <laughs> I wish I could just say, what's your favourite colour and just move on with things. But sadly... Why isn't it a test about Eurovision? <laughs> next time, next time you come on, we'll do a quiz. And yes, then maybe oh, do... please. <laughs> uh, not this time. We'll do most memorable Eurovision moment. You've had a few. Oh, what do you think this one's yeah, going to be? I feel like I mentioned quite a few. Hmm. Thinking about like a dramatic vote, obviously this year's was like super dramatic. But that 2018 one, that was really dramatic too. And I have memory, obviously being in the arena heightens things even more because everybody around you is like, oh my God. But I have a memory of that being like, oh, they're actually going to win. Meta is actually going to win. I love watching old ones, like ones from the 90s where, well, mostly the one where we won, just pretty much the one where we won. Um, but obviously I wasn't quite old enough to experience it, but you can kind of get the secondhand joy, don't you? And there's something really lovely about watching that clip of um, Katrina and the waves having won and they're sort of rolling their credits and you can just hear in Terry Wogan's voice how like, excited he is. And whenever I'm in a bad mood, I always go and put it on and it always makes me happy. <laughs> so, so that, you know, I watch that quite a lot because it's quite a lovely moment. Every That's up for, from us here in Dublin. Thank you for joining us. It's been a wonderful contest. See you next year, somewhere in the United Kingdom. That's off. Raw McCree to Katrina and the waves. I've mentioned it loads but, but when I was younger watching Lordy win I just thought it was really cool I think because at the time I was still kind of discovering who I was I must have been about 15 16 and I was really into my rock and punk music and then obviously I really loved Eurovision and having a kind of mixed identity like that when you're young is quite confusing I guess and then when the culture that you love outside of that then wins the thing that you love separately for me, that was like quite a, an important moment, I think, in my life where I was like, I don't have to hide one thing or the other. These things do interlap. And there obviously are lots of other people like me. Because prior to that in the contest, you know, there's some rock music, but none, none really that I can think of I'd ever won in that same fashion that they did. And that just felt like quite a significant moment, I think, as a teenager in like a My Chemical Romance t-shirt. <laughs> watching that and thinking maybe I do fit in in this culture and I do fit in in that culture too and it's been really exciting to see these kind of overlaps of genre just keep going right up until now obviously we were talking about earlier this this incredible TikTok generation embracing monoskin making it trend make it like the most popular and and yeah for me probably that moment was I was just like oh my god this is my life now <laughs> Hopefully we find ourselves over the next few years or so with so many other people having that realisation of what oh the Eurovision Song Contest is about and it just growing and growing and growing. And hopefully... no, I'm really interested to see how the Americans embrace the America. They called it the, they called it the American Song Contest, right? That's right, yeah. It's not called USA Vision or whatever, <laughs> it's just America Vision. <laughs> I'm really interested to see how that will go down. Hmm whether it will really take off and then they'll, they'll like taking that culture into their own culture and then maybe understanding Eurovision as a whole or whether it just won't, I don't know. And I find stuff like that really interesting, kind of seeing these new people coming into it. My friend Jack Saunders, he's on BBC Radio 1 and he plays his shows called Future Artists. And now I played him, Mona Skin, about two weeks before Eurovision because I was like, you'll like this, this is cool. And he listened and he was like, this is really cool. And then about a month after Eurovision, got them on the show. That just happened. That just happened. That actually just happened. Damiano. That's Mona Skin. was just hanging out on the show just there. And I'm going to be totally honest with you guys. I am completely and utterly flustered. And uh, uh, need a little bit of time to recover from that interview. I am uh, crushing, standing, and just overall... 
feeling a little bit emotional after that one. I love Monoskin. Now, when would you ever see that crossover of Radio 1's future artists with a Eurovision band? I have never seen anything like that in my lifetime. Of course, we've heard Loreen and Gina G on Radio 1 and things before, but this huge crossover of somebody with huge influence actually sitting there and going, this is a band you need to watch. And I just think, I just think next year's going to be like the best year ever. I'm so, I'm so buzzing for it already. I just feel like there's going to be a whole new bunch of people that have never, ever watched it before. It's going to be very, very exciting. You've just been chatting about BBC Radio 1 as well there. And it's given me a perfect opportunity to segue to the next question. We're going to talk about the BBC and the UK. To find out if you were in charge of the UK, if you were the head of delegation, what would you do? What would you change to try and make the UK successful again? Okay, so first up, I would very much like this job. Anybody (laughs) could give me this job. (laughs) Um... Do you know what? It's hard, isn't it? Because I appreciated the effort that they they put in this year because it has been better than past years, but it still just isn't quite there. If it was a contest 10 years ago, it would have been great, (laughs) but they still just are a little bit behind. And I don't know if that's because obviously with the partnership with BMG, I don't know if that's kind of come from a we don't need to search that much for this or like this, you know, it doesn't really matter. I don't know. I don't know like what their kind of thought process is, which is hard, isn't it? Because it's like, yeah, it's interesting because um, back in uh, 2020, back in the 2020 on the podcast, we spoke to Lee Smithers, who is the series producer of the BBC's coverage. And yeah. I spoke to him at the time and we were trying to find out, you know, what the decision for the path was and what they were hoping the outcome would be. And, the partnership with BMG was more to, you know, have a professional body make mm. those decisions and, you know, have the support there and the aftercare there for an artist, which the BBC couldn't do. So there's clearly really good intentions there for the BBC yeah. to be going down that route. But for whatever reason, it just didn't quite hit the mark this year, did it? And this is why it's so tricky, because it's like I can see that they are trying to take steps forward, but they are just not quite big enough. They're not quite right. And I think Lee is a good example because he seems to really care about it and he's very passionate. And I just wonder if his hands are a bit tied. Do you know what I mean? I wonder if he's sort of trying and they're a bit like, "Mm, we don't have the budget for this or like, we don't want to do that. You just don't know what's going on behind the closed doors. That's what's really hard. And I don't want to judge anybody for that because I reckon there are people that are probably just as frustrated as we are, (laughs) but can't really voice that. But um, I'm hopeful that after seeing this year's contest there might be a few changes next year I don't know but you know people always say to me all the time and you see it trending don't you you see all this and they oh Jesse J would do a good job of this or Ed Sheeran wants to go to Eurovision and it's just like I think we have this problem in this country of we have such a successful music industry that I think they think just throwing that at it is the solution they're like oh let's just send blue we'll just send uh, Bonnie Tyler do you know what I mean and it's not right it's like you actually have to delve under the skin of this and embrace the, the culture of the contest, which is far deeper than just sending somebody who is already successful because there's no guarantee that they're going to win. And I'd, yeah, I just, um, it's hard. If, if it was me in charge, I'd want to be going out there, finding some new talent, looking for people that care about it, they're enthusiastic about it and kind of understand it. I think you have to understand it. You have to understand what would do well and what wouldn't do well and things get suggested every time where people are like yes send that to Eurovision it's just like that wouldn't actually do well (laughs) and it's frustrating and and yeah I I just hope that they change their attitudes a bit but just having people like like Jack or or Scott Mills or people within the BBC and within Radio 1 and things like that that are being active cheerleaders for this thing and and talking about it completely differently you know I thought it was amazing to see him on his show talk about Eurovision in a completely different way. Just say, hey, this is actually really cool. This is not what I thought it was. And so we're all kind of learning this together. And I'm just hopeful that the the Morniskin effect will will trickle down and, and help us next year. But 
I just, I don't know. Why did they, what was with the polystyrene trumpet? <laughs> Oh, I think we might be debriefing the polystyrene trumpets for many a year to come. And the fact that there was no pyro, I was like, this is a song about fire. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I couldn't believe it. (laughs) Going forwards for the BBC in the UK, um, um, Rob spoke to Scott um, Scott Bryan, the TV critic. Um, He's Mm -hmm. he's big on Twitter. Yeah, we spoke to him a few (laughs) weeks ago and he suggested we need some sort of multi-week national final, a melody festival of our own so that the people can really get involved, can really understand it and can really feel invested in the process. You've sort of shouted yes at me already, but I presume (laughs) it's a big yes from you, is it, Zoe? (laughs) Yes. Do you know what? I totally agree with that. And I think I think maybe our coverage of it in that way hasn't helped before because we had those silly programs back in the early 2000s where Katie Price was doing one and it wasn't taken very seriously. It was a joke at the time and people would laugh and be, oh, it's comedy, but it's not. And I wonder if that kind of, and then I don't know, listen, the British public, they can't be trusted with a vote. <laughs> so if we did the Melody Festival and did it amazing and it all went really well, you just know they picked the wrong one when it came to it. So I just, I'm, I'm like, I'm down for that. But I think there should be somebody, I think there should be an, like an, an expert, like an actual expert, not like Jonathan Ross or whoever sat there. There should be an expert going, pick this one. <laughs> this is the one that will do well. Well, we'll soon see. We've, uh, 2022 will come round in an instant and we'll soon see what happens. So let's, uh, yeah. let's, let's keep our fingers crossed that something uh, bigger and better will happen in 2022. I hope so. I let's... do. I've got faith in them. I'm not giving up on them. Not at I all. thought this year was great progress yep. and I'm hoping to see more progress that way. Let's keep our fingers crossed. Zoe, and we've if reached... they'd like to hire me, I am free. <laughs> oh, dear. Always looking for a job. And I don't blame you whatsoever, Zoe. It's absolutely fine. You've got to hustle these days. You absolutely, know? <laughs> yeah. Nothing wrong with it. <laughs> we've reached our last big question. Um, oh. This is you know, this is personal choice, so you, you go wild with this. One change to the contest you'd most like to see in the future. Is it DJs like you being allowed to enter music and just have a bit of a a 15 minute set instead of a three minute song? Yes. (laughs) No, because then it would go off for like 10 hours. (laughs) Um, More Nikki tutorials. I thought she was amazing. Mm. I know that obviously she was Dutch and she was in the Netherlands, but I thought she was great. And I would like to see more embracing like that of social media, social media stars, and kind of catching up with it a little bit. I do find it so funny every year when they try and wheel out the DVD. It's like, nobody's buying DVDs anymore. <laughs> We've already seen it on TikTok. We're not buying the DVD. <laughs> and I think that maybe they made some good progress this year posting. The social media this year was like incredible. The Twitter feed was amazing. They were posting memes, they were having a laugh, and then I saw it continue into the euros they were posting jokes about the euros and making things relevant and i think kind of more of a push into that kind of modern world i think i'd love to see that i'd love to see more tiktok and more instagram and 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 stuff like that and i think they they made really good progress with that but other than that i think all you're saying really zoe all you're saying really is you just want 24 7 365 day eurovision content yeah yeah it's not a big ass. Come on, guys. <laughs> really. They, you know, they used to do it with Big Brother. They just had a live camera, didn't they? So let's just put a live camera and we'll just watch it all on. God, I would love that live camera in the green room all the time. That would be great. Just wherever a Eurovision artist is, even if it's in the middle of October or December or something like that. Just Let's just <laughs> yeah. follow any Eurovision artist from any year live whatsoever. <laughs> just follow them. Follow, what are they doing? Yes. I want to know. <laughs> Genuinely, though, I really want to know. One of my <laughs> friends tweeted the other day that she was watching a documentary about Daz Sampson, and I was like, oh, I've got to watch this documentary. And I went and found it, and it was amazing. And I don't remember watching it the first time round, but it was a BBC Three documentary, and they just followed him. Well, do you, have you seen this? Yeah, yeah, I watched it about a year ago, yeah. I think, oh honestly, God, genuinely fascinating, no, isn't it? Really fascinating. <laughs> yeah. amazing. Like, you, it's very hard to believe that it's real. I thought it was yeah. a bit like The Office, in part. <laughs> but, um, but um, I would just love to see more stuff like that. You know, when you look at, you know, when they publish um, 
the list of what all the TV channels are showing in the lead up to Eurovision. And obviously this year there was a lot of the fire saga was on pretty much every country's <laughs> main TV channel. But there were a lot of things like that. There was like, I can't remember which countries did it, but like, let's say like an Italian documentary about them. And there were a lot more, there was a lot more programming. And I just feel like this kind of Netflix obsession that people have with documentaries and like short stories and things, I just feel like that would work really well. And it would be nice to kind of have that in the lead up. But yes, in, in short, what I'm saying is I would like more Eurovision. Eurovision all year long. Let's, and let's a bring DJ. Me. And, and DJing, of course. Yeah. That, to that's give a the... contemporary feel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Zoe, we've been on a massive journey chatting about all sorts I of know. things. And you and I think you've ended it perfectly there by referencing Love, Love, Peace, Peace. So I think what a perfect way to end. Zoe London, thank you so much for joining thank us. Thank you. See what she did there? Very good from Zoe London there on the contest of me with you, James. You were all right as well. That was very good. I enjoyed that little, what was I going to call it? Tete-a-tete between the two of you for the last half an hour or so. It's going to have been longer than half an hour, isn't it? It's bound to have been because I know that when you came off the uh, Zoom call with her, you said it earlier on in the episode, you'd been chatting for about an hour. So I don't know how you managed to cut it all down. Yeah, I, I don't. maybe I didn't. Maybe you're just going to get the full unedited one-hour <laughs> version. Oh, but no, she was great, wasn't she? As, as I said at the beginning, and as I think we say every single week, she is so, so passionate, just like all of our other guests have been. And it's just great to hear other people chatting about Eurovision just as much as we love to. I particularly enjoyed the 2018 story where she said she was at the contest in 2018. I was like, well, so was I. Or, you know, we were both like, oh, let's compare stories. And clearly her stories blew all of mine out of the water. Yeah, that was my favourite bit because... I know exactly why you brought it up, as you said, you because I was also there, Zoe, and then you decided, weirdly, not to share any of your stories from your original 2018. I can't think why. If, if the conversation was between me and you, you would have gotten all of my boring songs, but clearly Zoe popped along and had so many more. Maybe she can get us a inside line with Yon Ola Sand. And that's our way of getting him on the podcast. Maybe he's the bonus guest that you're going to hear from next week. Maybe he's not. <gasps> oh, maybe. Maybe maybe you've got to stick around for a further two minutes and uh, find out who it is. No, uh, you have to wait and see. However, Rob, I knew I forgot to mention something earlier on in the podcast. And I might as well bring it up now. Uh, you, uh, you nearly met Zoe London a couple of weeks ago. I did nearly meet Zoe London, well remembered. Yeah, I was coming out of a tube station in East London. I don't often frequent East London because it's a bit trendy for me. I live in West London, but Zoe London's very trendy, so I imagine she's around those parts. And I saw Zoe across the road, but it was that awkward situation where she was slightly too far away that I would have had to shout across the road. And as much as we've had Zoe on the podcast before, don't feel like I know Zoe well enough to shout her name across a busy road. So this anecdote effectively ends with me saying to you, James, yes, I did see Zoe London in London the other day. And no, I didn't say hello. That's the end of the anecdote. Okay, so Zoe, if you're listening, I'm sure you are. Uh, Rob says hello. I'm sure you can say hello back at at your earliest convenience. We were outside a tube station on the Victoria Line. So okay. if you are listening, uh, I don't want to give away exactly where you live. Uh, you know, we got we got some crazy fans out there. I'm joking, obviously. But yeah, um, it was, where was it? A, a few weeks ago. Anyway, this is all by the by. Anyway, everyone's listening, just thinking, can you hurry up and shut up so we can hear who the bonus guest is next week? So that's what I'll do. But Zoe, thanks for listening. To me, ramble on? I don't know. Oh dear me! You've you've led yourself up the garden path here. This we need to we need to end this conversation. Zoe, thank you so much for joining us here on the contest of me, and thank you to everybody who's been listening over the last six weeks because we have thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, we know you've thoroughly enjoyed it as well. You've been listening in your tens or hundreds or thousands or millions. It's millions, isn't it, Rob? That's what it, that's what it says. It's definitely not tens. It's yeah. definitely not tens. But... All nine of you for listening. Really, really appreciate. <laughs> so we've got James's mum. My girlfriend, your girlfriend. Yeah, uh, that's at oh, least three. yeah. My my grandmom uh, texted me uh, the other day. She oh, said yeah. uh, she said hello, James. Uh, I hope you're okay. Listen to your interview with Steve Rosenberg and thought it was brilliant. Very interesting, man. In answer to Rob's question, I listen when I'm doing the ironing. Fan. That's the second person that we've had who's told mm-hmm. us that they listen while doing the ironing. 
Yeah. Hello, just... hello. I was going to say, what, what's, what's, her, what's her name? Grandma's name? Uh, we just call her Grandma. And so oh. will you. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, uh, Grandma, if, you, if you're listening, um, hello, and uh, thanks for your lovely comments. Indeed. Well, uh, actually, if... I take it all back, because they were about you. They had nothing to do with me. Yeah. <laughs> Stuff you, Grandma. <laughs> Uh, if you are a grandma or not a grandma, uh, feel free to get in touch with us about the podcast at We're YouTube very Podcast. Inclusive. Yeah, indeed we are on Twitter and Instagram uh, or hello at YouTubePodcast.com on the email. But probably time for us to disappear. I think it definitely is. So stick around because at the end of all of this, you are going to hear who is joining us on next week's podcast for our very special bonus edition of the contest at me and i don't want to pick it up too much but it is very exciting and i have not heard this person interviewed anywhere else a little bit of an exclusive so stay tuned uh, for that little piece at the end uh, and we'll be back with you for that episode next wednesday but in the meantime don't forget to subscribe leave us a review and rate us five stars from me james it's goodbye and from me rob it's goodbye the BBC rang you to come and host a, a show, would you do it? In a heartbeat. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.